So, so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about the, the impossible situations in life. Those situations in life, how, how can we navigate the impossible situations, the impossible waters, those, those really heavy storms? How can we navigate through them? Well, and, and even though everything I'm going to talk about today does ring true to all trials and, and all hardships, it especially rings true to those really heavy ones. And it's, you know, the heavy ones that, that change us. The heavy ones that, that leave a mark on our life. The heavy ones that have been course correcting for our life. And even though it rings true for everything, that's what I want to focus on. Because here's the truth. How many of you guys know that every single one of us, if you have not been through an impossible situation in life, I hate to break it to you, they will come. Is that the truth? That's the nature of life. Jesus said, he promised us that there will be hardship, there will be persecution, and some is just harder than others. The trick is to learn how to navigate through those stormy waters when they come. And, and I'm talking about the big things. When that doctor comes and he tells you, or a family member, that, that they have cancer or, or some great ailment. I'm talking about those times when a loved one dies those, those times where the storm seems so big, when, when you find out a spouse hasn't been faithful to you or when you're going through a divorce, those, those big things, the betrayals in life, you know, maybe a business partner that you had that did something, he, he kicked you out of the company, maybe, maybe you're older. And, and you've been with the same company for 40 years. Your retirement was all going to happen through that, that same company. Your, your, your plan was set, and then they let you go. It's those big things in life. Maybe you've been molested or raped or whatever. How do we navigate those areas in life? Well, many of you guys know that my family has went through one of those impossible situations. But as we went through the, the impossible situation, God explained to me some stuff. He told me some things inside of it. You know, each impossible situation, they'll send people in one of two directions. You know, the first direction is away from God, blaming God, telling God he's not good. He'll send you away from him. It will cause rifts in families. So hard circumstance, impossible times can, are a great cause of divorce, a great cause of kids and, and um, strife between kids and their, their fathers and their mothers. One way you can take these impossible situations is the most natural way away from the Lord and away from family and, and become weaker. But in those exact same impossible situations, it's possible to grow closer to God. It's possible to go closer with your spouse, closer as a family, and come out strengthened. And I'll tell you that in my, in my family's impossible situation, God showed me three things that led us down the path of becoming closer with God, each other, and stronger. And I want to share those with you. But before we do, the Bible says in Revelations 12, 11, it says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the what? Word of, of their testimony. And that's how I want to start this. By the word of my testimony, the word of God's testimony in the Hoffman family. I want to share with you guys 
our road in a way that I don't think I've ever shared it before from the pulpit. We're nine years into this thing, and, and there's different things that have happened. You may have heard our story for the fight with, for my son's life, but I want to bring it in detail because we are going to overcome by the word of our testimony. Listen, it was May 21st, 2014. It should have been one of the best days of my life. Everything was going good, okay? We, 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 I, I was the college pastor here. Life was happy. I was the college pastor here. Um, I had three kids. I was married to this wonderful, beautiful woman. Not was, is. Sorry. We had purchased a house a couple years earlier. I graduated from college. Everything was going, and the best part was my wife was nine months pregnant. This was supposed to be one of the best days of my life. And, and I remember it so well. I remember um, at noon, my wife calls and she says, May 21st, hey, it's time, come home. The labor has started. Do you guys remember that point when you were having one of your kids and your wife calls you and she's like, hey, today's the day, it's time. And you're like, peace out work, I'm going home. You remember that? Sometime today or tomorrow, I'm gonna have a baby. And I remember, it, it, everything was working out perfect. We, um, I got home, the midwife got there, our friend Cindy Lindsay got there. Um, my, what, we were gonna do a home birth. My, my mom came grabbed, and dad came and grabbed all the kids and, and took them away. Everything was running exactly as we had planned. The doctor had just months before, a month before said, hey, everything is great. I cannot wait to see and meet your new son. And I remember just the, the laughter that we had. We were, we were um, having a good time. In fact, actually, in between contractions, we were playing cards. We were just enjoying the time. Who would have known how quickly things can change? Who could have guessed how fast my, our entire lives were going to switch in that, in that moment? How naive we were to what the next two hours were going to bring. But that's part of the thing about impossible situations, you guys. Sometimes, well, many times, we're in impossible situations in life because we make bad choices, right? Because, because we put ourselves there. You know, the truth is many times we are our own mayhem. We are the problems to our own lives. And we're in these impossible situations because we put ourselves there. But also, just as true, many times we are in impossible situations not due to ourselves, just because life happens. Because life goes on. Jesus told us, be ready for hardships and trials and persecution. It can come in any moment. It can come when you're least expecting it. And here we were, least expecting it. We were upstairs and we were in our bedroom. And I remember my wife had this one contraction, one, only took seconds, one contraction, that her face went from pain to fear. All of a sudden, in that moment, fear came across my wife's face. And she turned to our midwife and she said, something is terribly wrong. I'm f I hear popping, I feel popping. Something inside is ripping. And so the midwife grabbed her tools and she listened. And sure enough, my son's heart rate was going down. It was getting faint. And in that minute, the midwife yells, call 911. She knew what was going on. My wife's uterus had just ruptured. So, so I called 911 and the, the um, ambulance raced in. Now, 
Here's the thing to understand about a uterine rupture. Women die from uterine ruptures. In fact, women die that are in the hospital laboring before they get to the operating table. And we were in El Cajon. And in that moment, I just remember being totally useless, totally helpless, watching my wife and my unborn son dying. There's something about men. Men want to protect, don't we? In any case, we want to protect. We want to protect our family at all costs. And there's never a harder position for a man to be than totally helpless while his family is suffering. So 911, the the ambulance comes and they put Heather into the back of the ambulance and they put me into the front. And I will say this, without a doubt, God was in there with us. There was a peace that was in that ambulance that should not have existed. Heather said she just felt like she floated all the way in in God's presence. In fact, she has visions of Jesus being with her at that time and in in the house. I just remember just the the spirit and comfort of the Lord in the ambulance. My wife, my mind wanted to go to all the most terrifying things, but the presence of God was so real, carrying us through. We get to the hospital, they, they run my wife off. I didn't even get to see her. In fact, I didn't know if she was alive in the back. I was so bummed I didn't get to see her because I thought that might be my only chance. I might be widowed in the next minute or so. And they, they take me off to this, tro- this hospital room, is this triangle room. And I'm gonna tell you, talk about impossible situations. When I sat in there all alone, it was like time stopped. You guys ever been in a situation that was so heavy in the moment, it was like time stopped. That your, your pain was so real, it was so heavy that it actually halted time. I remember just being in anguish and despair and fear were knocking at the door of my heart that, that the enemy wanted to have rule in my life at that moment. Hopelessness was, was being put on me. I didn't know what was going on outside. I didn't know if I had a wife or if I had a son. And I remember, I remember yelling at God and calling to God at the same time. Have you guys ever been in those positions? You just don't, there's so much going on, you don't know what to do. And I started warring in that time. And I know now, looking back, what was going on, I was warring if God was actually a good God. I remember just saying, you don't, you don't feel good right now. What, how could you let let this happen to us. We were following you, doing everything that you had called out of us. We were obedient to you. And I remember warring whether God was actually good because he did not feel good in that moment. All I felt was despair and hurt and anguish. Finally, the doctor comes into the room and the doctor says, "Um, Neil, your wife is gonna be okay. Surgery went well. But I want to tell you something interesting about surgery. She, she, shouldn't, she shouldn't have recovered the way that she's going to recover. This shouldn't have happened this way. But your son, inside of your wife, his head came up into the, the rip and caused so much pressure that he actually stopped that entire area of her body to bleed. To bleed. Neil, your son saved your wife. Isn't that incredible? 
God came through. Yeah, right. Yes. God was there putting my son in the right position. In the midst of the storm, he was still moving on our behalf. But he says this to me. He says, Neil, um, your son does not have the same prognosis. He said, your son has suffered such insufficient oxygen to his brain that, that he's, well, I don't think he's going to make it. In fact, you need to assume that he's not going to make it. He was born without a heart rate. We, we revived him but just enough to send him on an ambulance to a specialty NICU uh, natal intensive care unit over at Mary Birch. And you have to assume that he's not gonna make it. You know how hard that is for a father to hear? There's people in here that have lost their kids. It's such a difficult thing. And for the next two days, I was in between two different hospitals, one where my wife was healing and one where my son was dying. And, and that was just impossible again. I understand impossible situations. I know them well. My, my wife, we come back and she gets to see our son for the first time. And let me explain, he's, he's in this, this plexiglass incubator. He has more tubes and wires going in him than any baby in the entire NICU over there. But what was worse was he was laying on this cold pad he was only in a diaper, and he's on this cold pad that was keeping him in a hypothermic state. So we're both sitting there, and we're looking at our son, who, who is not just being kept alive, but he's being kept in a freezing state. And you get moms know that part of your job is to keep your kids warm, to keep them comfortable. And we just saw our son just in, in this, he was suffering. But God came through again. I'll tell you, I'll never forget this one, this one night. I was just crying on top of this, praying and crying on top of this box as I leaned over on it. And, and I was crying because I knew the suffering that was going on in my son at that moment. I mean, you just, you could see it. And the Lord gave me a vision. It's beautiful. I'm never going to forget this. Um, it was a vision. And I was looking at the back of Jesus. He was standing here and he was holding the hand of like this eight-year-old kid, which I knew in the dream was my son Ryden. And they were both holding hands and they were looking into heaven. They, they weren't in heaven because Ryden wasn't invited into heaven because he wasn't dead. But what the Lord was showing me in that moment is that Ryden's consciousness is with me. I'm not just your God, Neil, I'm Ryden's God. I'm not just your father. I'm not just your savior. I'm gonna be Ryden's savior. And he, was, he showed me, and that just broke all of the, it broke so much of the storm off my life knowing that my son's not suffering. He's with Jesus right now. They're not in heaven, but if you're with Jesus, it doesn't matter. And, and, and um, so he stayed in this, in this position for about three weeks. And uh, after three weeks, we get called into this, um, this big room, this conference room, and all the doctors are there. And they start explaining to us Ryden's situation. And they just said, there's nothing that we can do. Your son Ryden is not, can't live with all of these machines. If it's not for these machines, he, he would have passed away on day one. The only thing keeping him alive are the machines. The only, they did a brain scan, the only um, area of his brain that is even a living is the, is the stem cell that, that, that is just barely, barely alert. So they said, it's time. 
you have, to, you have to understand what's going on. It's time for you to say goodbye to your son. And I don't know how many of us have had to do that, but that, that was a hard time. It was both hard, but it became beautiful at the same time. We had our entire family come over. We were in this other room now with him, this, this private room, because it was such an intense situation. And, um, and we bring in my, you know, my parents and her parents say goodbye, and our, and our kids come in there and say goodbye. And I always remember what, what my son Gavin said. Gavin was five at the time. And my cousin, uh, Dustin and Jasmine, had just lost their son about a year and a half earlier to cancer. And I remember Gavin comes up to Ryden, tubes and everywhere, and he says, Ryden, you get to go home, but I'm sorry that I don't get to teach you how to play catch. But Monty, your cousin's in heaven. And he'll teach you how to play catch. And remember that forever. It was just this beautiful moment that we all had in the midst of death that Jesus was still in that room. And so everybody left. And the, the, the nurse pulled out all of, the doctor pulled out all of the stuff. And for the first time, we got to hold our son without any tubes and wires inside. I remember just kneeling, we're both holding him and we're just praying and releasing him to God. I know hard, I know stormy, impossible situations. But here's the deal, I also know God. And he changes things. And as we released him to God, God released him back to us. And yeah, right. God released him back to us. He, um, they said that he was gonna stop breathing. That's, his breath was only through this tube and we would only have moments with him. But as we held him, he started breathing. And his breaths became stronger and stronger. And he didn't die that day. And he didn't die to go home that night. And he didn't die the next day. And he didn't die the next day. And, and the doctors come in. They say, listen, we don't know when, when his organs are going to shut down, but they will. Let's, how about we send him home with you guys on hospice? Hospice is end of life care. And be home with him. And we're like, okay, we'll do that. So we go home on end of life care. Now, I don't know if you've ever had to deal with, hot, with, um, with someone that's on hospice. They're just waiting to die. It's absolutely terrifying. Every time you engage them, you know that, that that might be your last engagement. The next time you go and see them, they may be gone. I remember not waking up, trying to be, not be the first one to wake up because the first one that wakes up in the morning has to look at the bassinet and see if our son is still with us. I understand hard times. I really do. But my son didn't die. He didn't die. So we started doing life with him, bringing him around, doing all this stuff, and he didn't die, and he didn't pass. And, and he started becoming alert and aware. And I remember one day the, the, the hospice nurse says, we don't get to do this often, but we, we don't think that Ryden's gonna die. We think he's gonna live, and we wanna come off hospice. Yeah. And we wanna go on home care. God, even in this midst of this impossible situation, the storm, God was in all of these different areas. And, and over, over that next number of months, even year, um, Ryden started hitting his, his, some milestones. He, remember, the doctor said, there's nothing there. It's a light. 
If for some miracle he, he lives, you will not have a cognitive son. He won't know you. He won't recognize your voice. Nothing. He will sit in a chair and that's it. Quadriplegic. In fact, actually, I'll tell you this right now. Even on our charts right now, it says quadriplegic because no one knows what's going to happen with Ryden. No one wants to give him a prognosis. He's not a quadriplegic, obviously, by the way. Okay. So, so over the next, whatever, eight months, a year, he starts hitting all of these... Uh, uh, milestones. He's alert. He's aware. We had to feed him through a, an NG tube that goes through his nose into his stomach because he couldn't suck. He starts sucking. He starts eating, which is life right there. He starts being aware. He'll follow us around the room. You know what I mean? He's getting up. He was sitting up. He had a favorite brother. <laughs> All of these things he started to do. And we started seeing life and hope and excitement. Our, our son wasn't dying. He was starting to thrive. And we thought we were out of the storm. But this is the thing about storms. You have to know that storms are a part of life. The worst place to be in a storm is completely caught off guard. Know that they're gonna come. Know that they may come back, but know that our God is bigger. And there we were, all you know, enjoying riding, and then he starts getting something called infantile spasms. Now, infantile spasms are a type of seizure that is very damaging to the brain. Some seizures don't matter. Many seizures don't matter. Not infantile spasms. And they started stripping all of the life away from Ryden again. They stopped making him alert, aware. He stopped eating. And all of a sudden, it felt like I was back in that hospital room again, fighting for my son's life. The doctor said that there's, there's one thing we can do. And if this treatment works, he'll be freed from his infantile spasms, but he'll be pretty much promised seizure disorder later in life. They didn't know what time, 12, 15, 20. If it doesn't work, he'll go blind and the infantile, infantile spasms will take his life. Well, we're... We had no choice. We had to take it. So we, we took it. And God just comes through for Ryden. He's like a little miracle kid, I tell you. The infantile spasms stop. We're freed from those things. We feel a release of the pain, the impossible situation. But the problem is all of those things that, it, that he had lost did not come back. Not for a long time. It took years until he got some of them back. He wasn't as alert. He wasn't as aware. It took a long time. And then in 2021, the seizures came. And they weren't normal seizures. Normal seizures, people have, and they get through and maybe they're tired. He got grand mal seizures, the biggest of seizures. And, and, and they weren't 30 second or 60 second or 90 second. We don't actually know how long they were because we never saw his body come out of one. I mean, 20 minutes of a grand mal seizure. We had to give him medication inside. He had to be hooked up to a monitor all the time at night. I mean, we'd hear the monitor go off and we're tearing in. And, and that, that, that 10 months, I think we were in the hospital 20 times. Not just in the hospital, we were in ambulance rides to save my son's life in the hospital. Because when he got these things in the medication, his oxygen would go down and his breathing would start to stop. And we only had X amount of time to get him in, they'd intubate him, 
get them ready, and then they would send them home. And that happened nonstop. I'm telling you guys, it was like, it was like you, you didn't heal after the last one before you're already into the next one. My poor son was suffering until, I mean, you guys know God's an intervening God. God comes through, he switches our neurologist, and he gives the neurologist the wisdom to know what was going on. We went in for a three-day EEG. We're gonna be in the hospital for three days. In 24 hours, this one neurologist saw the problem, put him on one medication, and we've been two years without one grand mal seizure. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. God moves in impossible situations. Um, let me tell you what he's doing right now. For two years, we've, I mean, we've barely been in the hospital, babe. Three years, she says. Come on, Jesus gave me another year just now. And, um, and now, th these are the cool things. Now, even though he's still nonverbal, nonmobile, uh, he has this iPad, you guys. It's cute, all right? And, um, and you, can, you can ask him what he wants. He knows what he wants. And he hits these buttons on this iPad, and they switch the screen. He's like, I want to watch Blue's Clues. <laughs> We're like, okay, let's go do it. Or like, I am hungry, applesauce. I mean, he, he talks through this, this iPad. He's got a wheelchair. Have you guys seen him wheeling around, you know, out there? And, uh, and, and he's learning to really navigate the course himself. Even though he can't walk at home, you guys, it's so funny. He rolls everywhere. He is a roller. He knows what area of the house he wants to be in. And he gets there. He just rolls the whole thing. And he's fast. You're always like, where? Where did Raiden go? Someone find Raiden. Because if you call Raiden, he's not going to be like, you know, Marco Polo. He doesn't talk. Polo, Polo. Um, and he's so much fun, and he's eating, and, and, and we're loving life, but we're not naive enough to think that storms may not come our way again. But here's the deal. How did we, I'm going to tell you, how do we navigate this storm and come closer to God and closer to each other through the intensities of everything we went through. In the very beginning of this whole impossible situation, the Lord spoke to me. In fact, actually, he painted me a picture that spoke everything to me on how to make it through impossible situations well, how to suffer well. And, and I don't, you guys, pictures don't talk to me. I don't look at a portrait and go, wow, and, you know, whatever. I've never been to an art gallery, and I hope I never do, you know? <laughs> but I do now understand how people can stand in front of a painting and look at it. Because right in the very beginning of, of this whole thing, a friend of mine, Josh Speaker, posted something on Facebook. It was a picture that he painted, and it grabbed my heart. And it gave me God's secrets to navigating impossible waters. And I told Josh, that was beautiful. And I was just trying to be encouraging to him of what it spoke to me. And he had, he had sold the painting. Well, unknown to me, he painted me another one. Can I show you guys this? I should have said I painted this. <laughs> he painted me this. This, this portrait is... is one of the most important things I have. It, it's in my office. When I moved offices this year, they said, how do you want to decorate it? I said, I don't care, but this is going to be the focal point. Everything else is going to match this. Every time I look up from my desk, I see this. Because God spoke something to my heart. It might not speak to you, 
But I wanna share with you guys what God spoke about this painting and navigating um, uh, the hardest uh, areas of life. Now, the first thing when I saw this picture, you can clearly see the storm that has just passed, right? It's in the clouds. The clouds still have that, like, that, that, the, the ending of that big, gigantic, crazy storm that just happened. Look at the sails. The sails are filled with wind. Whatever wind has been going on the last week on this ship has been nothing but intense and threatening. You look at the water. You know, the truth is we may know, not know storms in San Diego, but we know water, right? Our water doesn't look like that because we don't have storms like that. There is just turbulence and the movement of water. Even though we don't know what just happened, we weren't there. You can see and tell the story by everything going on. But even in everything going on and all of the, the struggle that this crew just went through, you notice the beauty, don't you? Look at the sunset. Look at these mountains. Look at, look at the water and the fact that, that man had the ability to make a ship like that. You see God's touch everywhere. It's beautiful because God made it beautiful. It exists because God created it to exist. And the first thing that the Lord told me in the middle of the situation, as I saw this painting, or almost like it on Facebook, is this, is that God is still sovereign in the midst of the storm. That's the first thing. If you're, if you're going to move through the impossible waters of life, you have to understand that God is still sovereign inside of the storm. We have to remember he's everywhere. He's in everything. Do you understand that there is nowhere that you can go or be where God is not? Now, when we're in the middle of the storm, we sure feel alone, but that's because we've zoomed into our own problems. It just means we can't see him, but we have to know that God still calls the shots. I want to read to you what David says. He says this in Psalms 139, 7 through 12. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Shiloh, you behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay a hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. And the light is as bright as the day and the darkness and light are alike to you. Listen, that entire time, we were never away from God's presence. It may have felt that we were alone. The darkest point of that hospital room, God was there with me, giving me peace, giving us grace, giving us comfort, giving us his hand, directing the scenes of life. We just couldn't see it in the moment. But sometimes you just have to have a faith that God is still sovereign. Not only is he sovereign in being everywhere, he's sovereign in loving us. You know that God loves you. No, 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 listen. He doesn't love you like people around you love you. He loves you better. God is the good father. You know, my dad, um, he did a lot for me. 
My parents, both of them, they, they prayed, they were there, they, they did everything within their power to help us. But God does things within his power to help us. Not only was he sovereign in his love, he was sovereign in his power. I want to read you Colossians 1, 16 through 17. It says, for, I, wait, let me just say this. No matter the storm you're in right now or will be in, no matter the impossible situation that you will at some point find yourself in, I want you to know you are never abandoned. You're never alone. Your God loves you too much. Colossians 1, 16 through 17, talking about his power, it says this, for by him, all things were created. Now he's gonna define what he means by all, both in heavens and on earth, all, visible and invisible, all, all things exist because of him, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Before him, um, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Listen, in that hospital room, when we found out what the spasms were doing, at the edge of, of these incredible seizures, there was one and only one name that could help us through this position, this position, this impossible situation, and that is the name of the Lord. Nothing else, only he has the power. When you're in that position, you have to remember that he is sovereign over all things. The second thing I wanna show you about this picture, that's number one, is understand that God is sovereign in the midst of the storm. The second thing that I immediately saw about this painting that God spoke to me, is you guys see that sun? The sun's about to come out, do you see it? It might've been a week or more that these sailors had seen the sun. In fact, I'll bet you these sailors never believed that they would see the sun again. We read stories about sailors saying, we thought we'd never see the sun. They thought the storm would last forever. I don't know what storm you're in or impossible situation, but I've got great news. The storm is going to end. No storm lasts forever. No impossible situation lasts forever unless we camp in the storm. The enemy wants you to believe that things will not get better. He wants to take away your hope and he wants to give you hopelessness. The Lord wants to give you help. The enemy wants to give you despair that nothing will change. And in all of these situations, that despair and that hopelessness tried to set in. But the entire time I knew, Heather, this will pass. There's an end to this storm and there's comfort knowing that. Little Annie was right. The sun will come out tomorrow, okay? Here's the problem. As humans, we put periods where God puts commas. You know that? We put periods where God has a comma and then the word but. We say everything will always be bad. Everything will fail for me, period. There's a comma there and there's a but. God is bigger than my problems. But God will take care of me. He said, yeah, yes. He said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
we find rest. Listen, can I tell you something else about this sun? Not only will sun, will the storms um, end, but how many of you guys know? The S-U-N will come out, but the S-O-N never left. And that's something we need to remember. The sun, the S-O-N, shines through the storm. I want to read you 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. It says this, if in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, meaning there's going to be an end, even though for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various persecutions. And let me just tell you, these are persecutions under Nero, probably the most evil man that ever lived. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is parable, even though tested by fire, that's what happened to them. That's what happens to us in these, in these impossible situations where tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the re revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, when I look back into the whole entire story of my son Ryden's life, I see Jesus everywhere, testing us by fire, giving us comfort. I remember a, a couple things. I remember one on when we were at the NICU, uh, our, our social worker nurse, she comes to us at the very end of our stay, like three weeks into this, and she says, can I tell you something interesting that I've never seen happen before? And we're, and, and we're like, maybe, I don't, can't take the pain, <laughs> you know. She says, the nurses have been calling in days before their shifts asking to be moved to Ryden's room. And we're like, what, really? And she says, yeah, they say that this room feels different than every other room inside the hospital. Yeah, because Jesus was there. You understand? Jesus was influencing these nurses through my zero-year-old son. Remember, one nurse says to Heather, she says, um, I know, oh, watching you, I know how to act with my husband now. Jesus was doing marriage counseling in Ryden's room <laughs> with, with the use of a, of, of a zero-year-old. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this, that my kids every single night pray for Ryden. He's nine, and I still hear it. Can I tell you something about my son and Jesus? My son, with the help of Jesus, teaches kids how to pray. Do you understand that? I think about all the things about my son, and I don't think God ever meant for there to be a different son than, than, than the way that Ryden is with all the experiences that Ryden had. Because at the age of nine, I will tell you this right now, my son has made more impact for the kingdom of God than many people make in their life. The entire time Jesus was shining through the darkness and he shines through the darkness inside of your circumstances, God lets us go through these things because he wants to refine us by fire. He wants to make us bigger and better. I'm, I'm, I'm training for this uh, half marathon that's happening in March and, and I got a, a trainer to help me, Micah Nineman, he was here last service. And um, he's helping me prepare myself. And so I've been running these six mile runs and then Micah says, okay, I want you to do an eight. And so I got a new trainer. <laughs> Just kidding. I was like, why? M Micah, we need to help you with your counting. Six, seven, seven, eight, seven. And, and he's like, no, 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 I want you to do an eight. Because once you do an eight, a six won't feel like that much anymore. 
And I was like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard someone say. <laughs> but I'll try it. And I ran eight miles and I almost died. <laughs> and then my very next run, I wanna run six. But here's the thing, I got to six. And I thought, been there, done that, no big deal, added two, and I ran eight. That's the same concept. When God takes us through a storm, the storm doesn't get bigger, we get bigger. Ready to tackle what comes next. Ready to help other people out of it. Look, I wanna give you the last one. And by the way, I'm, it's, this is a longer message. If you have the notes, I actually have more scriptures that I'm reading and you can read those on your own if you want. The third and last thing that I wanna to talk to us, first is God is sovereign inside the storm. Second, your storm is going to end. There is an end, the sun will come out. The third one is this. I don't know how far this ship was blown off course. Hundreds of miles? I don't know. How long was the storm? I do know this. It is not on the same trajectory that it had set out to be. But you know what hasn't changed? It's destination. Oh, this is the big one right now. Let's, let's actually get the band to come out. Worship team came out. As long as the ship's destination stays the same all will be well. Do you understand that? As long as our, in our lives, our destination stays the same, as long as the bow of our ship, that's the front, as long as the bow of our ships point at Jesus, nothing is going to sink our ship. You may be in uncharted water after, after a, a trial. We are. We are in uncharted water. I did not have a plan of raising up a special needs, but my destination, my family's destination hasn't changed. And that right there will make sure that our ship doesn't sink. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians, he gives us a list. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-three through 27, you can read it, it's on your app. He gives a list of all of these impossible things that happened to him. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was three, four times he was given 39 lashes by the Jews, which is almost a death sentence. He's been stoned. He goes to this list of all, st stoned with rocks. Um, he goes to this list of all, I gotta explain that in California nowadays. <coughs> he goes to this list of, um, of, of all of these impossible situations, yet, he suffered well, did he not? He grew closer to God. One of the most influential people in the history of the world. How? Here's what he says. I am reading this, 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 8. He says this. This is how. I've fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Paul's bow always were, was on the destination. Through every one of those things, the destination of his ship never changed. He was blown left and right. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's stand up right now.
If you're not in an impossible situation, thank God. But no, the worst time to get in an impossible situation is when you are caught off guard. Knowing how to navigate is everything. If you know how to navigate, then, you, then these impossible situations will lead you closer to God. They will make you stronger. They will make you a better person. They will give you a depth that you didn't have before. Courage that you didn't have before. And the ability to work in the presence of God that you never had before. Possible situations aren't all that bad. They're not fun to be in. I don't want to go in again. But if you navigate them well, you come out better. How did my family navigate it well? We understood the sovereignty of God in the midst of it. We understood that the sun is not just coming out, the sun never left. And our bow never changed. I wanna leave with one thing. I wanna quote Joshua. How do we make it through this? But as for me, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's how you get through it. That's how it works.